the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, as the standoff against the Philistines drags on, Jesse sends David with supplies to get news of his older brothers. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 12. The title of the message is A Courageous Heart. All right, 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17. Well, when we finished verse 10 of chapter 17, we left Saul in a precarious situation. He has no intention of letting single combat determine who rules over who, but he also can't ignore Goliath's challenge, so he's kind of in a pickle. And thus, like the rest of his soldiers, his heart is troubled. And so we see this man who's troubled because he just won't follow the Lord. He won't trust the Lord. doesn't mean that we who are following the Lord don't experience troubling circumstances. We certainly do. But our hearts don't need to be troubled when we're going through them. Well, into this situation steps a young man whom the Lord is with, and therefore a man who has nothing to fear. And so with a simple mindset and a courageous heart, David puts himself forward as the man who will represent Israel against the giant. So chapter 17 will begin in verse 12. It says, well, verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine of Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. But then verse 12 says, now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So here we are reintroduced to David and his family because things are shifting back and forth between Saul and David. We saw that Samuel anoints David. They go out to find someone to replace the joy of his salvation with some good music. They find David, a man who the Lord is with, and it helps Saul out. But then Saul's got this other trial that comes up. Well, now the focus is returning to David, and it reminds us who he is. David's family, he is from the city of Bethlehem. The Ephrathite, it just identifies an older name for Bethlehem of Judah. And we know that David is the youngest of eight boys. We met Jesse and his sons in chapter 16 when Samuel anointed David to be Saul's replacement for king. 
But here we learn why Jesse's not on the battlefield and why his three older sons are, because he is an old man. He went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. He was beyond the age of fighting, and so his older boys are out there fighting for Saul instead. And so we get here to verse 14, and it focuses on on David. David was the youngest, and it mentions here that while the three eldest followed Saul, David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David was fine as Saul's administrative assistant at court. Remember, after David had been serving him as a a musician for a while, that Saul fell in love with him. He just really liked the guy, trusted him, and he became his armor bearer, his administrative assistant. And David was fine for that role at court, but David was not trained as a soldier, and Saul likely considered this a liability on a battlefield. And so he sends David home, and David goes right back to taking care of the sheep. It's interesting, we never see David pout about this or resent Saul for this. David is okay with whatever role God seems to put him in, and that is a good mindset to have, because there are times when the Lord exalts you, right? And you're flying high, and then there are times when the Lord abases you, and you're like, God, what are you doing? It's good to have a mindset where you're just okay with whatever role God has you in, knowing that he'll take care of you wherever he puts you. Well, as this goes on for a while, Jesse sends David eventually to the battlefield to check on the brothers. It says in verse 16, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days, which means Jesse has very little news on what's going on with his sons. And so Jesse says unto David, verse 17, his son, take now for your brothers an ephah of this parched corn and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to your brothers and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how your brethren fare and take their pledge. So the idea here is I want you to find out how they're doing. The word they're fair actually means shalom. See if they're doing well. See if that can describe how they are. Are they experiencing shalom, peace, good welfare? Is, are their lives okay? Is things good or is it bad? And so take their pledge, which would be a verbal message, which confirms that things are favorable there. And so, verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. But there's not actually any fighting going on. They're just kind of staring at each other and yelling at each other until Goliath comes out. Verse 20, and so David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and he took and went as Jesse, his dad, had commanded him. And he came to the trench. The word here describes a circular military camp. They do it that way for defense. It's kind of like a ring of wagons that they'd set up if you were traveling. It's a defensible position. And so David comes into this, the military camp, just as the army was going forth to the fight, and shouted for the battle. So just as the army is going out and setting up their battle lines there, that's when David arrives. And so he's getting there right as this stuff is about to get started for the day. Now, what it seems like is that Saul's plan, King Saul, was to ignore Goliath's challenge and just line up his men to fight every day in hopes that the Philistines would get bored, Goliath would get bored, and they'd just fight it out. But even though the Philistines lined up opposite them every day, they never engaged. They were content to let Goliath reiterate his challenge every single day. And this went on day after day after day until David happens to arrive right when it's all getting started. And so verse 21 tells us, for Israel and the Philistines put the battle in array. That's where they lined up army against army. Verse 22, and David left his carriage, all his supplies that his dad had sent, 
He left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage. So he takes all the stuff and he leaves it with the soldier who is in charge of provisions for that part of the army. Hey, this is for the captain. It's a present from my dad. I'm here to check up on my brothers. And so he says he ran into the army. So the word their army actually means the battle lines. David goes right out onto the battlefield, leaves the protected military camp, goes out onto the battlefield right where the Israeli army's lined up. And he came and saluted. He began to ask and inquire about his brothers. So these guys are all lined up and they're all shouting at each other, Philistines stink, bro, you know, Israelites rule. They're shouting at each other. And, and David's out there going, hey, have you seen Eliab? Anybody know Eliab? He's asking for his brothers because he can't go home until he actually hears it from their lips. And so it mentions here that while this happens, verse 23, as he talked with them, as he's asking about his brothers, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, everything that he had said before. Hey, why are we coming out here to fight? I'm a champion. I'm, I'm a man. Why don't you bring out your champion? I'll fight him. If you beat me, you kill me, then we'll be your servants. If I kill him, we'll, you'll be our servants. Sound, save all this bloodshed. And so he comes out and he does it again. And it says, the Bible makes a point of saying, and David heard. He heard all of it. And David's reaction will be very different from the rest of Israel's soldiers' reaction, showing that David has a different heart. Look at verse 24. When Goliath comes out and says his spiel, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Uh, The word there, fled, doesn't mean they just ran. It means they departed to a safe place. So they came back to their protective camp. No, we're not doing this mess. If you're not going to fight us, we're not going to fight. And they go back to their camp because they were very afraid. None of them wanted to face Goliath. Verse 25, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this guy? Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to divide Israel as he come up. So again, we already learned earlier that Samuel had to learn the lesson that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, that God looks on the heart. They're looking at this guy's outward appearance and they're thinking, nobody can take this guy one-on-one. And they say, man, he's just out here to ridicule us again. He's out here. The word defy means to ridicule, to taunt. That's all he's here for. It's interesting. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so what is Goliath at heart? Goliath is just an arrogant, cruel man. He's just another petty bully. And thus, he's not in God's favor. But instead of looking at all that, all that the soldiers saw was a giant with no equal on earth. And let me tell you something. If you look at your problems that way, they will terrify you. If you just square up with the outward appearance of your problems, they will be absolutely terrifying. Because on your own, on my own, I am not the equal to many of the challenges I'll encounter. I'm not. Many of the things that may come into my life, if I try to square up on them and say, okay, let's take the measure of my problem in me, I am not up for most of those challenges. A fearful heart isn't necessarily a heart that doesn't understand the facts. It's a heart that just ignores the most important facts. Now, on the other hand, a courageous heart looks at all the facts and recognizes 
that God is not just equal to whatever challenge we're facing, but he is greater than every challenge that we face. Amen? Now, as these guys are explaining all this, man, nobody can take this guy. He's up to here to ridicule and taunt us. But then they say this, and this is the other side. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. These are the other facts. The idea is, yeah, I know he's tough, but man, have you heard what the king's offering to anybody that can kill this guy? The idea is these things that Saul has laid out there should have stirred up the soldier's courage. You're going to be exempt. Your whole family is going to be, not just you, but your whole family is going to be exempt from taxes forever. And yet no one rises to the challenge. No one except a shepherd from Bethlehem who overhears their conversations. Verse 26. And David spoke to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? What did you guys say? It's like he hears it, but he's not sure. He's like, did I hear that correctly? Because it doesn't sound like anybody's acting on that. For he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It's interesting. He says here that what shall be done to this guy, the guy that kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? The word reproach means a disgrace, a state of dishonor. For at least 40 days, Saul has not answered this challenge. He has not stepped up to the plate. And again, we have ideas of honor in our country, but nothing like they have over there. And for him to do nothing, it not only brings dishonor upon him, it brings dishonor upon the entire nation. And so David's looking at this going, nobody's done anything, and this is what the king's offering? And I love what he says. Because he doesn't understand, why is no one stepping up to this? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy, ridicule, taunt the armies of the living God? It's interesting because it's not like David was blind. It's not like David looked over there and he's like, who's that peewee? No, I mean, David sees he's big. He sees he's tough. He knows that probably nobody could match this guy in one-on-one combat on their own. But his estimation of Goliath was different because he saw every Israeli soldier as a member of the living God's army. He's like, this guy's got nothing on us. And so when no one is stepping up, despite what Saul is offering, David's incredulous. He's like, are you serious? Any of us could take this guy, even me. Tell me what the reward is again. Verse 27, and the people answered him after this manner, saying, shall it be done to the man that kills him? But you know, A non-soldier making a fuss on the front lines isn't going to go unnoticed. I mean, David's not wearing armor. He doesn't fit in at all. And so David's brothers don't just hear about David being there, but they hear about him asking these questions, and they're like, oh, great, little brother's here, and he's creating a ruckus. And so verse 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men. So he, he arrives onto the scene. He hears that David's asking for him. He hears David's making a scene. And he arrives here as David's asking us, is this for real? No, none of y'all going to fight him? And Eliab's anger was kindled. The word there means his nose became red hot. He is nostril started flaring. He was livid. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart, for you are come down that you might see the battle. 
The word there, naughtiness, means the evil, the moral badness of your heart. I know your pride. The word there means to have an inflated view of yourself. What are you doing down here? And you gotta love this. Have you ever had a brother, or if you've been the older brother like me, you said stuff like this? You know, there you see your little brother doing something. You're like, what are you doing, man? And you ask a question, you don't even give him time to answer. You just tell him you already know the answer, right? What are you doing down here? You know, what, what, what's going on with this sheep? I don't even want to hear your stupid answer. You know, I know why you're here. Because of the inflated view you have of yourself. Just because you've killed a lion and a bear, you think you're hot stuff. I know the moral badness of your heart. You're just here to see the battle. It's not a game, David. You don't understand. You know, Eliab assumes he knows what's in David's heart and he answers his own question, doesn't even give his brother a chance to answer. And while people do speak out of the abundance of their heart, the problem is, as we're listening, our hearts are deceitful and wicked too, which means our understanding of what we hear can be woefully incorrect. Therefore, assuming what motivates someone And condemning them based on my assumption of such is sin. It's always wrong. The Bible says that God is the only one who knows what's going on in here. I don't even know my own heart. Follow your heart is dumb. It's just not a good way to do life. And you hear people say it all the time. Just follow your heart, man. No, don't, please. Please. That's the way that leads to bad stuff. Because you don't even know your heart. You say, oh, I've searched. I know my heart. No, that's why David said, Lord, you search my heart and see if there's any way wicked in me. I've looked, I haven't found any, but I need you to search it because I'm going to miss stuff. The heart's deceitful above all things, the Bible says. Think about the trickiest thing or person you've met. Heart's worst. You know, I think it was someone called the heart the traitor within. So assuming what motivates someone and condemning them based on your assumption is sin. It's wrong. It's an unbiblical way to think and communicate. The Bible says love doesn't even assume the worst. It says love believes the best. One of the biggest problems in marriage or premarital relationships is poor communication. It's probably one of the number one things that people come to me about and say, Pastor Will, we're struggling with our communication. You know, or how can we have better communication? Well, Accusations based on assumptions are one of the most common methods of poor communication. If you want to improve your communication in your relationship, whether you're married, not married, eliminate this unbiblical method from your toolbox. (laughs) I can't tell you how many fights would have been avoided if I had just assumed the best about my wife and not the worst. We have a story we tell. There was a time when we were, it's the first year we were married, and, and we were fighting about something. I don't even remember. And Bev's cooking dinner, whatever, and you know, she gives me my plate, and we're in this little one-bedroom apartment, so there's not really anywhere to go. So, I mean, you can't get away from the person you're fighting with. And so I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm waiting for her to come sit with me, and we're going to eat dinner together. We're all mad at each other and whatever. And all of a sudden, these two pieces of toast come flying at my head. And I, and I sit there, and I said, and now why are you throwing toast at me? And she just looked at me like I had four heads. Like, why would you say something like that? I'm looking at the toast on the floor. I'm like, well, obviously, toast doesn't fly on its own. Well, we had a very overacted toaster. Seriously. And, and commonly, it would, the toast would just fly out. And it just so happened right at that moment, the toast for dinner flew out and hit me in the head. So, 
I said some very not nice things because I assumed the worst that my wife was the type of person that would throw toast at me. It's a silly example. But my point is, we imagine much more sinister things from our spouse, you know, from our friends. Some of the things I've seen believers say to one another when they don't know the facts, they just assume they know what's going on. That's why the Bible tells us to be slow to speak and slow to wrath and quick to listen because you need to hear the other person out, not assume you know what's really going on. Verse 29, it says here, and David said, what have I now done? I love that because that's the little brother response, right? What did I do this time? What is it now? And I love, he says, is there not a cause? This was not the first time David's motivations, which they couldn't know, had been shamed when his actions, which they could see and know, weren't wrong. He had done nothing wrong, but they assumed a motivation was wrong, and therefore his right was wrong. And so David says, is there not a cause, which means, Hebrew means, am I not allowed to talk to people? (laughs) Am I not allowed to converse? It's not like David wasn't used to conversing with officers at court. I mean, David had probably knew some of these people. He had just as much right to discuss what was going on as any soldier in Saul's army. Now, having explained his innocence, David continues asking people if what he's heard was true. Is it really true that the king is doing this? Verse 30, and he turned from him, not his brother, but to the guy he was talking to, toward another and spoke after the same manner. Uh, The word manner there is the same word for cause in verse 29. He's just continuing to talk to people. Did Saul really promise a king's ransom and no one's answering the call? Is this really true? And every single person he talks to says, yeah, it's the case, man. And the people answered again after the former former manner, verse 31. And when the words were heard which David spoke, as they... David's talking courageously. He's like, no one wants to fight this guy. I mean, you get no taxes for the rest of your life. I've been his daughter. Who knows? You know, Michael, I mean, she doesn't sound like a winner. Every time I see her in scripture, it's not good. However, maybe David's too young to know that yet. Maybe she was nicer when she was younger. But either way, the point is, all David could see is like, this is a no-brainer decision. And yet everyone else is going, David, you're crazy. And so eventually it becomes clear that David's the only person who's not fearful in this situation. And so a group of people notify Saul. And when the words were heard which David spoke, they rehearsed them. They reported them to Saul. And so Saul sent for him. That's a bit too polite. The word literally means Saul seized him. Saul, in a sense, politely had him arrested. You see, while Saul doesn't question David's motives. He does think the young man is being foolish and causing trouble. And yet, I love that David is kind of arrested, but he doesn't get the hint. Because look at verse 32. So he gets to Saul's tent or wherever Saul is, and David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. I got this. The whole reason Saul brought him here is to shut him up. David, David, enough, (laughs) you know, you're a kid. You don't understand what's going on here, all right? The adults have this in hand. But David says, let no man's heart fail. Literally, let no man's courage fail because of Goliath. 
your servant will go and fight this Philistine. David was not so naive as to not understand the danger in front of him. It's simply that he saw a greater danger than Goliath, and it was the failing courage of Israel's army. That was the greater danger here. And he says, we don't have to go there, Saul. We don't have to do this day after day. I'll go out and deal with this guy, and then problem solved. The dictionary defines courage as the ability to do something that frightens you. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to act in the face of fear. And whatever courage the Israeli soldiers had on their way to this battle was slowly ebbing away. Every day, Goliath made his challenge, and no one answered. You see, to David, Goliath's defeat is always a foregone conclusion. But in his mind, if no one stepped up to do the deed soon, the Philistines would rout an already defeated Israeli army. And to be honest, I don't think David cared who toppled Goliath. I don't think he's clamoring to be that person. I do believe he would have the same confidence whoever Saul sent out there to fight the giant. But in all David's conversations, he didn't find a single person who believed they could do that. And so David volunteers. So Lord, whether there's something going on in our lives or not right now that we need to courageously trust you for, we decide, Lord, we want to have courageous hearts like David. We want to have an accurate assessment of who you are and look at everything in our lives in light of that. And then when we commit to be those who will obey you no matter what. So fill us with your spirit that we might do that, Lord. Fill our hearts with courage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.